With my busy life, I use Shipt same-day delivery to keep up. When I need a jar of extra creamy peanut butter delivered, I know my personal shopper Amber will come through. And if it's not on the shelf, she asks them to check the bag. Shipt, delight in every delivery. Learn more at Shipt.com. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. This on? Hello? Hello? We're all science people. Science. Exactly. We know it's a good idea because it's lasted. There's chemistry in here. There's biology in here. It's in whiskey. It's in ice cream. It's in who you fall in love with. Rules and and ethics and everything else. We can make the world better for everybody. Starting now. Welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye, and this is the show where science rules. It's a call-in show, everybody. If you want to be on the show, and I hope you do, please go to askbillnye.com and type on in. Tell me what's on your mind. Tell us what's on your mind, because, you know, I'm joined, of course, by science writer, editor, and friend, Corey S. Powell. Greetings, Corey. Hey, Bill. Good to be podcasting with you here. So, Corey, this episode is about what, what evolution wants. But, you know, evolution doesn't want anything. I mean, evolution doesn't have, as we say, agency. It doesn't make choices. Evolution is the fact of life. If you're good enough, you pass on your genes. If you're not, you're not. It's not about being fit, being able to lift more weights. It's about fitting into the environment. Now, you know, Corey, you may remember... <laughs> I did a debate in Kentucky with uh, a guy who presumes, claims, pounds his fist upon the lectern, insisting that the earth is somehow 6,000 years old. Oh, right. Yeah, Ken Ham. He's got the, the museum with, uh, with dinosaurs in the Garden of Eden. Yes. From a college debate coach point of view, I did, with respect, I did kind of kick his ass. Now, along this line... One of the guys who just helped me tremendously with getting ready for that debate and being accurate was uh, Don Prothrow, who is uh, now an adjunct professor at Pomona, but he was at Occidental for a long time. So he's ta- on the phone with us today all the way from California, USA. Don, uh, welcome to Science Rules. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you calling me. <laughs> sure. Now, Don, we want to talk about evolution want to talk about creationism, Bigfoot. But the big thing for me, and I think you've given this a lot of thought, is why, why do people not accept evolution, not embrace it? And then why, along the same line, do they embrace things that never happened, like Bigfoot? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, actually, there's uh, quite a bit of published research on that now. And uh, I can just summarize a bit of it here. It's Certainly, as far as creationism goes, it's not really about science at all, and never really was, even though they'll pretend they want to debate science. 
it's all about being a part of a religious community and believing like your peers believe and uh, not being rejected by them, and especially in the case of religion, believing that if you don't take the Bible literally, you're going to go to hell. And when you try to preach science or talk science to someone who thinks believing science is going to send them to hell, you're not going to win that battle. It's very tough to try to do that. Uh, there's a much stronger motivation to believe that you're saved rather than uh, believe in science. So that's a difficult battle to fight because you're not fighting just against irrationality. You're fighting against deep-sided religious beliefs. But uh, in general, a lot of these uh, non-scientific beliefs still have a really powerful hold on society, which is surprising because, you know, we are one of the most scientifically uh, uh, advanced societies it's ever been, but we're still pathetic in many areas of science. And uh, as far as Bigfoot and UFOs and things like that go, I think a lot of that has to do with just the need to believe in the mysterious. That's an interesting question. What is it that's so appealing about the mysterious? Because to me, I think to a lot of people who come at this from a scientific point of view— the thing that feels empowering is uh, thinking about how much we know, thinking about, you know, there, there's sort of power in knowledge. But there is this whole other view that there's power in, in mystery. Why, why do you think that is? Why, what is so appealing about the unknown? I don't know, really. I mean, I know in religion, of course, it makes him feel better. But uh, for the other ideas, I think it's sort of quasi-religious in lots of ways, too. It, it's uh, soul-satisfying for some reason, or it gives them a sense of wonderment. Uh, I think fi- some people find it uh, uh, do, you know, not so appealing that science has demystified the world and, and hasn't uh, you know, left any skeletons in the closet for them to be scared of. And so they like being scared. They like being mystified. They like having these things that aren't fully understood and, and unknown. And uh, that, to me, is a very alien way of thinking, because, you know, I've been a scientist since I got hooked on dinosaurs at age four and never grew up. Uh, you know, I was stuck on that kind of thinking, and I, I like to, you know, be able to both appreciate something aesthetically and also know how it works. Uh, that gives empowerment, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, nevertheless, I'm not the norm. I think that the people who'd rather have mysteries in life are much more common than those of us who'd like the mysteries debunked. Um, uh, and then, of course, scientists themselves don't have... You know, unanswered questions. That's the nature of science itself. We have lots of things we have not yet completely explained or don't fully understand. We all have to live with that uncertainty, which is something we accept as scientists. And that's uh, where we find people jumping with the paranormal. So we're where you see something like the curtains are moving and people say, oh, a ghost did it, scientists will withhold judgment, say, well, what other explanations are there? And then, you know, they will, you know, not jump to a conclusion that something paranormal happened. But people like the paranormal as an explanation. Well, well uh, hold on. Was, this, is, this, is, this is a great point. I mean, you are, I, I believe, a human being with, a, with similar impulses yeah. to other human beings. Have you ever seen yeah. something that you couldn't explain? Do you have, do you, have you seen things oh, yeah. that, that are still mysterious to you? Like, what, what's, yeah, what's an example? Yeah, there are plenty of them. You know, you see things in the sky, you're not sure what they are, or you hear sounds, you're not sure what they are. And the usual human pattern is to try to immediately have some sort of explanation, no matter how bad it is, to explain it. So the UFO hunter in the woods, uh, they hear a sound they don't recognize, they immediately decide it must be Bigfoot. And so every sound in the wood they don't know becomes Bigfoot, uh, which is the same woods, but you take a wildlife biologist out there and they'll know which owl it is. And then they're not scared by it at all. They're not mystified by it at all. I was doing a, a discussion about UFOs last night, a big uh, lecture in an Irish bar, actually, in Santa Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's where some of the best discussions it. take place, I believe. Uh, well, they had 300 people crammed in an Irish bar. It was really amazing. But anyway, uh, and I was pointing out, in the case of UFOs, all the UFO stands for is unidentified flying object. And the point being that scientists withhold judgment 
If they don't understand something, they don't immediately jump to the paranormal, which is the hard part. But the UFO believers always jump to a paranormal explanation for something that's not yet explained. But scientists are obligated, by the way we work, to always leave uh, things unexplained until an explanation really comes along, but not jump to a paranormal or supernatural conclusion. Along that line. Yeah, go ahead. So uh, this is not a phone call, Corey, but we have a question that was written in. This was a write-in question uh, from, from Jared. Uh, who wanted to know, what is a quick and to-the-point argument debunking creationism while still respecting religious people? It's a very, uh, it's a very timely and relevant question. Oh, Don't... that's pretty easy. Uh, the, the, what, I, what I do in the beginning of my book, if you look at my book on evolution, uh, the very first uh, section is to the reader, and I point out that maybe 40% of evolutionary biologists and paleontologists are religious. Uh, they don't have any problem with their religion and evolution side by side, and they actually do research in evolution, but they also hold on to religious beliefs. So there isn't a necessary conflict there as long as you're not a biblical literalist. That's the only place where there's a conflict. Well, that's the guy that I debated in Kentucky, Ken Ham. Yeah, anyone like Ken Ham, who's a fundamentalist, who says every word of the Bible must be true. And when you beat Ken Ham in Kentucky, of course, you, uh, one of your questioners actually got him to admit that he doesn't take all the rest of the Bible literally. So he wasn't even consistent on that one as well. So uh, before we uh, before we wrap up on creationism, you brought up a, 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 I thought a really important point that a lot of people who have who are skeptics of evolution because of their religious belief, they sort of associate that if you you know if you believe in evolution, you're you're basically you're voting against like the immortality of the human soul. You're voting against the afterlife. That that right, you have to right, right. abandon those things. So how do you how do you help people reconcile those things that you can leave room for? Uh, for the, the mysterious and, and the divine, but you can also accept the evolution, yeah, the evidence of evolution. Well, I would say the same way that those people I mentioned, the 40% of paleontologists and evolutionary biologists are religious, they don't take the Bible literally, but they use it for spiritual guidance, and they recognize that parts of the Bible are metaphor or allegory and not literal, and uh, that makes it so that they can have the religious beliefs respected, but they don't have any conflict with science because they don't take the Bible as a science work. Uh, people who are nervous about evolution will say, uh, if humans came from monkeys, why are there still monkeys? And I yep. mention this because they're looking for an explanation. There's an explanation. Why, why is this? Why is this? I'll tell you, I got this question from my own mother who, I mean, she's no dummy, uh, but she has, you know, she has her own kind of complicated relationship with, uh, with faith and science. And, you know, it was not it was, I think it was asked from a place of genuine curiosity of, you know, is this an unexplained question? How can there still be monkeys? Yeah, well, of course, it's based on a misconception uh, that uh, we keep trying to clear up, but it's so widespread in American culture that it's very hard to do. Is it just American that, culture? Oh, world culture, probably. You're right, yeah. Bill. Uh, basically, the iconic evolution, I mean, uh, iconic diagram of, you know, uh, monkeys crawling up to uh, apes, crawling up to, to uh, primitive humans and then to modern humans, uh, the march of humans through time sort of icon. That's sort of, you know, you, all you have to do is show that icon, everyone immediately understands the word evolution from it, and yet it's completely false as a metaphor or an icon for evolution because we've known since the days of Charles Darwin Evolution is not a linear sequence. Evolution is branching and bushy, and that various lineages branch off from the parent lineages, but the parents do not disappear when their descendants appear. And the analogy I like to use on trying to explain this concept is say, well, when you were born, did your father automatically die 
And when your dad was born, did your grandfather automatically die? No, usually you overlap in time. And the same is true of fossil lineages and humans and species in general. They branch off from their parent lineages and usually overlap in time, sometimes by a significant amount. Science Rules will be right back. If you're on a GLP-1, you're probably loving the results. You look good. But how do you feel? How about the stomach issues? Loss of muscle mass? Lacking energy? All of those side effects can take a toll. So now what? The answer is GNC. We have solutions that can help address those side effects and make sure you don't get knocked off your path. Because when it comes to living healthy, we're all about it. And that includes keeping you going on your GLP-1 journey. GNC. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You're listening to Science Rules. We have a we have a fellow named named Jeff on the line. Uh, and say, Jeff, are you there? Uh, welcome to Science Rules, Jeff. Where are you calling from? Hi, calling from Denver, Colorado. Okay, excellent. What's on your mind? So uh, my question is uh, is about, of course, the human uh, part of evolution. So uh, our current place in the uh, human process for evolution. Uh, at what point will we no longer be considered Homo sapiens? Is my question. Oh, you mean as as we, as humans keep changing and evolving, at what point will we become a new species? Will we become something beyond human? Where that... uh, some future generation right. will not be able to have successful reproductive sex with the current generation. And is that's an Don? Is that another way of asking? Are humans yeah. extinction proof? Well, we're not extinction proof. Uh, if we manage to wipe out the planet, we will be one of the first species probably to go. But, uh, you know, they're talking about human evolution, but the problem lately has been that uh, only a limited amount of change has happened to humans in the last few thousands of years. Uh, we've done most of our physical evolving, and we just have a slight a bit of change, things like we're starting to all lose our wisdom teeth now and not develop them anymore, and a couple of minor changes like that, but nothing really major that you would distinguish a new species. Why are, why are we losing our wisdom teeth? Uh, wisdom teeth are your last set of molars in the upper and lower jaw, and your jaw has gotten shorter through human evolution, especially in the Homo sapiens, as our faces get flatter and we don't have the big protruding mouth that our ancestors had. Uh, there's not as much room for teeth in the mouth, and so we don't have big canines in front of our mouth like uh, apes do. And then in general, our, jaws are shorter, our faces are shorter. And so to shorten the face, that means the last set of teeth erupt, which are your wisdom teeth, your last set of molars, also erupt really late. That's why they call them wisdom teeth, because you get them when you're supposed to have more wisdom. Hmm. And the problem with that, of course, being that there isn't often room for them anymore. And so we have a high percentage of them every year that basically had to be taken out because they don't fit. But why would, and, that, what, why would the genes that produce them have changed? Well, there's, you know, there's 
as the face shortens, there's selection against having those teeth in there because they just don't fit in room. And then, so, you know, there various things are happening to change the way in which we're, we're, our faces are proportioned in this, in this process. So, so when, when are we going to not be able to breed with ourselves? Right. I think that's more of what Jeff is asking. Jeff, I, I assume you're asking about something more than just losing our wisdom teeth. Is that right? Right. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, that's harder to answer because we now know, for example, that even though more or less modern-looking Homo sapiens are around at least 200,000 years ago, we overlap in Neanderthals. Even though we consider them a distinct species, we have about 3% of our DNA shared. So we still bred with Neanderthals, even though we more or less... They were, they were partying. They were interact. Can we say interacting on this show? Interacting, yes. They were the interacting hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And the thing was, we didn't overlap with them in space. You know, Neanderthals were supposed to live primarily in the southern border of the glaciers in Europe, Europe, and we lived in mostly in Africa and then eventually spread to other parts of Eurasia. And in most places, we didn't overlap with them at all. But right on the edge of their range is the Middle East, and there are caves, caves in Israel in Mount Carmel, which have layers that have modern, or more or less modern human Homo sapiens and then Neanderthals and modern Homo sapiens. So have you so been there? Were, have you been to those caves? No, no, I haven't been to those caves, but they're famous. Uh, they're in anthropology. They're called School Cave and Kafsa Cave, and they have these uh, incredible records of both Neanderthals and uh, more or less uh, archaic or modern Homo sapiens in them as well. Okay, but wait, so uh, so back to this question. Of, I mean, are we evolving right now? Or, you know, are, are we sort of slowly moving toward a, a, a new human speciation? Is it possible to tell no, when you're, when you're no, in the that, middle of it? Yeah, that's the point I made. Yeah, that was the point I was trying to make. The changes we're doing very small, like, for example, developing lactose tolerance as your adult, which uh, normally we would lose once we stop nursing, and other things. They're very small changes that barely show up in the uh, morphology at all or don't show up, you know, like a gene for lactose tolerance doesn't show up in, in, in most things. Uh, and so, you know, most of what's happened to humans the last 100,000 years is not anatomical at all. It's cultural, which isn't genetic. And so that's what's made us different in lots of ways, but it's not something that would cause us to form a new species or to uh, show much genetic difference. And we don't really have much genetic difference. We're all really close to each other. We all had common ancestors in a very small population only about 73,000 years ago, right after the Toba eruption. Jeff, thank you for your call, by the way. Yes, thank you so much. It looks like, it looks like we're going to be able to breed with ourselves indefinitely. So as far as as long as we're alive, (laughs) just go wild out there in Colorado. So let me, Don. Let me ask you this: Is there selection pressure to have women able to have kids successfully without complications later in life? Because as as, because you just mentioned cultural evolution, so I believe our culture is uh, women get educated, women get college, get postdoctoral degree. I mean. um, get graduate degrees and then postdoctoral degrees. So they're having kids later and later after they're CEOs of their various venture capital amazing things. Is yep. there pressure that's measurable on that in that uh, one idea? Well, it's only happened in the last 20, 25 years, so it's too soon to tell. Uh, but we do know that there was pressure on humans early on in our history. One of the things that restricts how big our brains are is the size of the female birth canal. That's the hardest part of pushing a baby out of the birth canal. That's probably what happened to my old boss. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
anyway, so the uh, story goes, and there's some questions about the story that have been, uh, that have been raised, but the, the conventional wisdom is that one of the things that restricted humans from having large brains was the fact you can't be too developed in your brain uh, and still make it out of the, of the birth canal alive, and of course if you don't, the mother and the baby And the die. reason we have the narrow birth canal is to stand upright and have our hands free to That's play right, frisbee right. So and things. The trade-off, when you're standing upright, you're, you can't have as broad a birth canal, and you're not able to have as large a baby. So that's a, a big trade-off that humans have had to face in order to be bipedal and walk efficiently. And uh, big, broad hips uh, are better for uh, carrying babies and, and birthing them, but they also make it harder to walk. And so what people have conventionally said is what humans have done to compensate for this is that we have our babies prematurely. We're one of the, when we have our babies at only nine months, our gestation period should be quite a bit longer for our body size. But when we have babies at nine months, we're having them essentially prematurely, which this is why is, they're so underdeveloped. So cool. This born. is what you guys do, right? You compare how long it takes, let's say, right. an elephant to gestate. Two years. Two years for an elephant to have its uh, Whereas humans just, just try to rush things. So, so, Don, here, I have a question for you. If you could redesign humans, if you're a, if somebody, somebody puts you in charge of, uh, of, of human morphology, uh, would it be better to have six limbs so that we could be on all fours and have uh, a pair of, of free arms? Would that be a, a better design for us? Well, the most successful group of plant animals on the planet, the insects do that, so I guess you'd say it's better in some ways. But having a certain number of limbs is pretty much hardwired because that's what your ancestors had. You're not allowed to play with the basic body plan. Oh, man. So four limbs. Four but limbs I've seen the minotaur, the Greek minotaur guy. He's... Uh, I know. That's, that's a myth for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, having wings and, and four sets of legs doesn't work on anything that's a tetrapod. Okay, only four speaking starts. of legs, a number and, of legs, and Corey. Speaking of, and speaking of myths, uh, we, St- here we go. We have, we have Stephanie on the line. Yes, and Stephanie. Stephanie has a question that I love. Uh, uh, first, Stephanie, are you there? Uh, w- welcome to Science Rules. Are you with us? Yes, I'm here. So okay. glad to be here. Excellent. Where are you calling from, Stephanie? I'm calling from New York. Oh, wow. The town's so nice, they named it twice? <laughs> exactly. That joke never gets old. No, never. it's not a joke. It's, uh, a, it's fact-based. Right, it's a it's New York, fact, New York. fact-based statement. Uh, so, Stephanie, you you have a question. Uh, what is your question about? Well, okay. I got to put it into context. Okay. I, um, <laughs> we love context. I've always, I know, I got to give the background. So, I've always um, loved Little Mermaid, and ever since I was a kid, like, for Halloween, I used to just, like, dress up in a mermaid outfit. I love the glitter. Like, a part of me just felt like maybe in a past life I was one. I don't know, but that's not my question. My real question is, do you think that mermaids, like, real mermaids ever existed? No. Simple answer. (laughs) There's a reason for that, and that is because humans have a certain body plan that cannot be altered very much. Uh, you know, you can alter humans to have shorter limbs and wider limbs and stockier limbs, but you're not going to redesign us and make us into having a fishy tail. That's long gone. We don't even have the genes to make that anymore. Also, how would mermaids reproduce? I never understood this part. Uh, yeah, that's always a hard question when you watch the way they're drawn. Yes. <laughs> Without any lower half of the body, you'd speak of. <laughs> yeah. It, it, oh, it, it, there's it, some details yeah. that just don't show up in certain uh, illustrations. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I saw the shape, but, of, I saw but the shape of water. Doesn't that make me wonder? Doesn't that make me wonder how do fish reproduce? Because don't they have tails just like mermaids? Yeah, but they, but they eject their eggs from their body and lay them in the water so they don't have to copulate. See, mm, there you go. So, okay, so maybe. Now also, yeah. Don, how does it that the seahorse male carries the uh, 
the young? How does that go? Well, the yeah. female actually, uh, a female actually carries the fertilized eggs in during fertilization, and then she ejects them and passes them to the male. The male has a special pouch. Uh, okay, but marsupial, just like a marsupial mammal has, and they carry it in that pouch till the eggs fit in, okay, hatch, but, and then they then they hatch out. Don, Don, but then how did she get fertilized eggs inside her? Um, yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't know. You know I, you're probably right. They don't have for internal fertilization, so I pre- they must just lay them in the water, and the male takes them in his pouch. Then, yeah, I'm, yeah. I have to look that one up. I'm not top, familiar with that top of my head. This fascination with mermaids, Don. Could it have okay. to do with sailors a little worn out, maybe access to rum, encountering yeah. something like stellar sea cow? That's one of the stories that's out there. Uh, certainly, the sailors have been away from women for a long time, so that would have made them think that way too. Uh, but uh, there are the way that manatees and sea cows and all the rest. Uh, nurse their young. They sit upright in the water and they have two mammaries just like we do, uh, not multiple ones like many mammals do. And so they nurse their young right at their breast, sitting above the water level. Uh, so people thought if the sailors had saw them at a distance and couldn't see them very well, maybe the seaweed draped over the top at the top of their heads, that might have uh, helped uh, create the mermaid legend. That's at least one story. And, and I guess that, that makes sense to me because I'm thinking to myself, well, how did like the sailors go, well, I guess they just went home and then they used to tell these stories about being like out that's in the right. sea to their children. And then that's how like the little mermaid was born. Right. Telling fish tales. Yeah. Humans are great at making up stories of things that never existed. I'm... So Stephanie, I'm going to, I'm going to ask one more question on your behalf because I, because I, I love this yeah. question. Thank you for calling in. So um, I think we can agree that like a half fish, half human thing, that's just not consistent with how evolution works, but could there be right. could there be an intelligent fish? Is there something inherent in fish biology? You know, uh, that could there could there be such a thing as a you know a fish? It's biologically a fish that lives in the water, breeds with gills, but it has a you know a large brain. It has sentience. Is there something? Is there any reason why such a thing could not exist or could not evolve? Uh, there's no reason why there's no reason that theoretically it couldn't exist, but uh, most fish are not under the kind of pressure from a selection to do intelligence first. I mean, fish live short lives, they breed fast, they breed in large numbers, so there's no real va- value to being really well developed and intelligent. Uh, their lifespans are just too short, and there's the, the hardwiring is more important. So they, it's a, it's you know, brains are a very expensive thing to maintain. Okay, large brains cost biologically and cost. Um, physiologically, and so mammals don't develop large brains other than, you know, other than proportional body size unless there's a very strong upside to it, and most of the time there isn't. Uh, you know, you don't just you get intelligence for free. You have to sacrifice other things. So in our case, for example, as we were saying earlier, a large brain meant that we couldn't pass the birth canal until we started getting born prematurely. And we also pay a heavy price for having a large brain, and we don't have resources developed to be other things like being, you know, super ferocious or having claws or having really big fangs. So we don't specialize like other animals do to defend themselves. We use our large brains to be uh, able to do things like defend ourselves. Some of us, some of us use our brains. Yeah. With that said, Stephanie, thanks for the call. Stick around for more science rules after this. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Science Rules is back. Let's go to the phones. Troy, are you out there? Hey, what's up? Well, whence are you calling? From where are you calling? I'm calling from Hagerstown, Maryland. Ah, yes. Uh, Not too far from the nation's capital. uh (laughs) Uh-huh. And you have a question. Yes. All right. So my question is, since our modern world with technology and the Internet and everything, it's relatively new and unnatural. So I was wondering, how do you think this will affect humans in terms of evolution in the next couple of centuries or so? Uh, as we were saying earlier, humans have not changed physically hardly at all in tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, you know, just small changes, like, say, now you can drink milk as an adult, which your ancestors could not, and things like that are very small changes. So there's no reason to think that we're going to do a lot more physical changing in the, very, in the, in the time scale you're thinking about. Humans, remember, are, are very young things. We've only been around a few hundred thousand years, and most species last millions of years. And so we're still really, really early in our history, and we haven't even begun to see what will happen next. So we have to think on geologic time frames here to actually render that question useful. But, but uh, Troy, if I'm understanding correctly, you're asking, basically, we have all these new evolutionary pressures that we're kind of creating on ourselves with, with technology. Is that, is that what you're getting at? Mm-hmm. Troy, what's an example of, a, of pressure that you think tech, technology is putting on us? I would feel that uh, people would need to be more smarter. Like, for example, um, back then, we would need to be more skilled fighters and stronger. To survive, I would think that maybe we're moving towards being smarter to survive because you have to know how to work with technology. Maybe, how about maybe able to process more than one thing in the visual field uh, at at one time. Both your I, your uh, smartphone oh. screen and oncoming traffic. Yeah, we we certainly do process a lot. A, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, you guys, I'm telling you, looking at the phone and crossing the street without watching is freaking dangerous. There's a reason they call it the Darwin yeah, Awards. A strong selection against that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's pretty strong, yeah. Now with the freaking cars with their pedestrian detection systems, it's too easy. <laughs> yeah. so, so, Don, that is a good question. You know, are, are, we, are we placing kind of new pressures on ourselves with our technology are we are we you know are we going to be selecting for different things just by the kind of the the cultural evolution that we've done is that going to cause biological evolution as well uh, not on the time scales that biological evolution takes place it's a very slow process that takes place over hundreds of thousands of years so it's going to take a long time for those pressures to actually accumulate any real change i mean think of it this way okay in in uh, in just maybe a hundred, no, maybe a thousand years ago, or maybe two thousand years ago, anyone who couldn't see very well at my age, and I've had glasses since I was about six years old, uh, would not be able to survive or breed because if you had nearsightedness, you were food for predators. And so we have compensated for that by putting glasses on people in our context and LASIK surgery, but that was a fundamentally deathly problem. If you didn't have good eyesight, you didn't survive. 
And so in spite of that, humans, humans compensated by just overcoming what nature has done to us. Well, we have Troy here. If you had some control over your evolution, if you could decide what you're evolving toward, um, do, do you have a do you have a, like a, a thing in your heart of what you would want the next stage of evolution to be like, or some new ability you you would hope that we would be evolving? I don't know specifically, but I would hope it would have to do with space travel. That <laughs> well, seems like the next. We could hold your breath for say months at a time. Yeah, that, that would be pretty cool. Actually, uh, well, <laughs> yeah, something well, like that. Well, actually, being, being more resistant to radiation. I mean, I was going to say cosmic rays. If you could handle radiation, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that would be a good one. Don, several times uh, you've alluded to the idea that evolution takes place over hundreds of thousands of years. Most of the time, yeah. But what about one of my favorite things? of course, are mosquitoes in the British subway system. So apparently now, in just the last few decades, mosquitoes who live in the subway can no longer, in general, can no longer breed with the mosquitoes that live on the surface because they've been down there feeding on humans with their hind legs crossed because it's so easy. Humans just come down every day, they eat them, they just lie around doing mosquito things. So that's right. an example of, of a new species, if that's, I believe it is a new species, happening in just yeah. uh, 50, 60 years. Is that right? That's right. But there, what you're talking about is a very short generation time. These things live only a few weeks to a few months most of the time. And so they have many, many generations in a year. Uh, and so you can evolve much faster if you have very short generation times. That's the, the key to doing genetics. They used a fruit fly, which only lives about three or four weeks. And the fruit fly gives them the possibility of having a lot of generations in just a few years of lab time so they can watch evolution happen fast. When my mother was in college, she shorted, she sorted fruit flies. Try that yep. three Everybody times. Everybody in genetics flies. learned flies. how to do that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's, it's been standard and it was pioneered only about a century ago at Columbia University where I was trained. So the Coincidence? Actually, yes. <laughs> It's a little uh, biblical flood uh, thunder. <laughs> so, Don, it is time. I know you've been excited about this. You've, you've been waiting all all show for this. It's time for the lightning round. That's why okay. we, we went from the thunder that created the biblical flood uh, to the, the lightning that created the thunder. Here we go, Don, lightning round. What is your favorite dinosaur? Iguanodon. Uh, why is that? Ah, uh, it was the first one I was interested in when I was a kid, so it still is. What dinosaur scares you the most? Well, any large predator from a T-Rex to Conotaurus to, uh, you know, Giganotosaurus, the biggest predator of all, would be pretty scary. But not Spinosaurus. Spinosaurus, in spite of the movies, actually ate fish, so I wouldn't be worried about Spinosaurus. Aw. Uh, okay, that, that's good to know in case I ever run into one. Do you have a favorite yep. evolutionary fact, a fun fact about evolution? Uh, you still have the genes for your tail. And you still have the genes for your gills, and you had both of them when you were an embryo. Ah, those were the days, am I right? (laughs) Okay, what is the worst thing about a human, evolutionarily? From an evolutionary standpoint, what's the worst thing about us? Well, we're not constructed to be bipeds very well, so we have back problems, knee problems, ankle problems, you name it. We're not good bipeds. What are we doing here? Well, we're just good enough bipeds to have survived when it counted in terms of running down prey. But we are nowhere near as good a biped as an ostrich. Let's go forward you know, a thousand years from now. What will be different about, about Homo sapiens? What, 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 what do you see from the current trend line? 
Uh, probably not much because we've already had uh, several hundred years having glasses, and that hasn't made nearsightedness go away. Uh, we've had a uh, thousand years or so of shed shortening faces, several thousand years of shortening faces, and it hasn't made winsome teeth disappear completely. It's too slow a process, and of course, culture has over- overcome natural selection here. So, you know, because of culture, you know, people with glasses can still breed. But in uh, the days when we didn't have that kind of protection, any human who couldn't see well was a, was a food for the predators. Now, let me ask you this. So uh, what about skin color? What do you see the future of skin color? Well, we are becoming the most uh, uh, blended po- uh, population ever in American history and world history. And gradually, I think uh, they'll homogenize across cultures as soon as we don't destroy each other first. <laughs> Everybody, we, our guest today has been Don Prothero. Uh, he's an expert on evolution and the passage of time and our place in the history of the world. Remember, when it comes to the evolution, creationism, and Bigfoot parts of our universe, Bigfoot? science rules. So, listeners, if you have questions, and I hope you do, if this episode just seemed just too short and you want to get your question in, call us and leave a message and we will do our best to answer it. Call 201-472-0785. If you like science rules, I hope you do. Please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out, helps us understand who's listening and helps us improve the show, and it helps people like you learn about the show so they too can listen. Thank you. Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell. Our engineer is Jared O'Connell. Mixing and original theme music were by Casey Halford. Special thanks to Claire Rawlinson. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer of Stitcher. And at Stitcher, Science Rules. Stitcher. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.